You are listening to Zen and the Art of Triathlon. Hey there, all you triathlon freaks and geeks, and welcome to another great episode of Zen and the Art of Triathlon. I am in a surprise location. I'm in Costa Rica. We're on the west coast in a town called Tamarindo, right on a small bay with uh, beautiful beaches and stuff. It's a, uh, oh, whoa, look at those waves over there. Wow, that's a beautiful break. But uh, it's our... Uh, wedding anniversary and we took Kai with us this is our first uh, real big exotic vacation in a long time (laughs) I think since we got married we went to Jamaica but anyway uh, this episode we have my uh, review of the Grand Fondo 100 that I was in I got first place and I cover it in two parts uh, first, I talk about it, stuff that um, anybody could do, little tips and tricks that are real handy because I figure I put that in the front. And then we take a break from that and I take you with me to um, discover and talk about the five hindrances in Buddhism. It's kind of like the Ten Commandments, but they only have five and they're not really uh, sins per se. They're things that you should do, that uh, things that are holding you back and uh, how you should do things uh, to get around that. It's, it's really neat. And actually, I cover the fourth and the fifth one for this episode. But I do talk about the uh, others. But then uh, we go on and talk about an email I got about what do you do when people in the pool are faster than you and it's irritating. <laughs> and then we go and talk more about the Grand Fondo 100 at the end. Uh, things that I did personally and you know my review like as I went through the through the day and how I actually handled it and more of like the personal stuff I I thought I'd throw that there at the end yeah so we are we're gonna get into all that but uh, this is day we've only we've been here 24 hours I think in Costa Rica we flew into Liberia and then drove it's just over an hour drive and thought I saw a monkey there's definitely monkeys here um, I haven't really seen many yet. And by the hotel room that we're at, there was all kinds of bird noises. But I came down here, and here there's uh, the ocean noises, um, just, you know, 100 feet away. <laughs> and it's very calming. I, I can't even begin to describe it. Costa Rica is a total trip. And I've spent a lot of time, we live in Texas, so I've spent a lot of time in Mexico and stuff. Oh, they're squirrels. We have those in Texas. Boy, they're acting crazy, though. And, uh, oh, but I did see an iguana. A huge iguana. He's really close to our hotel room. So the squirrels here are red. Yeah, red. Their tails aren't quite as bushy. Very cute. And um, it's, it's spring break here. So it's both a ton of young people, but also not a ton of uh, older people. So I don't, I don't even really know what to make of it, but we'll have uh, the rest of the uh, the wrap-up of the show at the end of the show. So let's go ahead and get into our Grand Fondo. It's a 100-mile bike ride. 
how to how to execute a 100 mile bike ride i do it as if i'm doing an ironman bike ride 103 miles and then our number four number five of the five hindrances which is restlessness and doubt and then our swim question and then cover more of the grand fondo all right here we go Right, we are going to talk about how you can have a very successful Ironman bike ride, which pretty much your whole Ironman hinges on. Because <laughs> if you go too hard on the bike or you mess up the, the fueling or hydration on the bike, then um, your run is going to suck and you'll have lots of trouble with that. So what happens is for the past three years now, there's been a 100 mile, it's actually 103 miles Grand Fondo here in town and it's every year it's gotten a little bit earlier so now it's March 3rd every year it's been about a week or two earlier and it is a really great start of the year to see how my training over the winter uh, went and what I've learned and what I've improved on and what I need uh, to get smarter about really where the uh, rubber hits the road and it's a giant charity ride, and I wouldn't say giant, it's a small size charity ride. But there's, um, oh, I should mention, I'm in a parking lot. I just ate a jerked chicken taco, these gourmet tacos, and a shrimp, a blackened shrimp taco, pineapple, pico de gallo, and all kinds of, you know, gourmet stuff. Uh, the trick is to learn to not eat it all <laughs> as soon as you start feeling a little bit full it's actually probably a little bit too late and just put it in a to-go bag or ask for a uh, something to wrap it in before you even sit down if you can if you know you're gonna get more than what you need to eat and then go but anyway it was really really good and if you hear any strange noises there's some construction going on over there but there's also some birds and stuff so it could be pretty nice and there's a highway a few hundred yards away and occasional car so we're gonna hear a little bit of that but anyway this uh this turns out to be a really good way to test out the um your training and what are you doing wrong and what are you doing right for an ironman bike ride so uh, and there's aid stations every 20 miles or so maybe a lot maybe a few maybe 15 miles and you have to um that's no, probably every 10 miles but you have to you have to stop to get a station so you just can't roll through so you kind of have to take that with a grain of salt and anyway i treat the whole i treat it as exactly like i am doing an iron man bike ride so i try to emulate the 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 zone the heart rate zone zone two and i've learned so much by doing these and um you know when i get off the bike you know could, could i run how would I, if I had to run a marathon, <laughs> kind of like I can only imagine, getting off the bike, what, how far would I be able to go before I'd explode? And you know, what, did I go too hard? What, what did I learn? You know, and all my fueling and hydration, all that stuff. So it's really, really great. And there's actually even a 500 mile version of it that does gravel on it as well. I'll get all into all that in a minute. 
Um, but this one is a hundred mile and then there's like a 70 and a 60 and a 30 and a 20 and all this other stuff. But they, um, for the 100 in the morning, they start off the 100 milers first and, and then I go and there's some other triathletes in there on tri bikes, a lot of roadies. And in general, it's all for charity and uh, it's a really, really good time. I like to treat it as a race and um, it's sort of a race because Emily likes to kid me. We, it's a big joke, you know, that um, Brett, you won another charity race. <laughs> Well, I mean, Ironman races are actually charities. They donate all that to charity. Anything physical, you know, fitness stuff is really, it's not, it's not real. You know, these are made up competitions. And when you, when you have that in mind, and then also the other thing is, uh, I told Emily, I said, did they, or did they not give us race numbers? Are we not wearing numbers like we're racing? And she says, well, yes, but that's still not the same thing. And I said, okay, but that's how you know it's a race is if it wasn't a race we wouldn't have numbers and also and yes yeah, I, I still know it's really not a race but then also um another co-worker told of emily's told her that if there's more than one bike it's a race and everybody knows dude a group ride just with some friends ends up being a race every single one of them you know as soon as you start having uh, a whole bunch of people involved it, everybody's really trying to see who can who can win this thing. So, um, and I won. I won the. I won it for the third year in a row, and it was uh, uh, a, a ton of fun. So, before I get into the personal uh, things that I worked on, I thought I would put the tips of how. Um, things that everybody can use to help out uh, right at the very front. And, uh, and then we can get into the, um, stuff that, uh, affected me and, um, you know, the more, the more drawn out kind of stuff. But anyway, first thing is I haven't ridden on the road on my tri bike, uh, in months. I've been on the trainer and I still averaged, um, I got first place and I averaged 21.4 miles per hour and did 230 watts, I think, was my average watts. And there's all this debate, you know, well, you can't really train and be any good unless you uh, unless you ride on the road. No, that's not true. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I was like, the weekend before the race, I was, um, I was worried about... I wanted to uh, ride on the road, um, and then it, you know, to get a feel for the road handling and all that stuff. And then, um, uh, it rained. So I couldn't, I couldn't get out and ride for real. And we had a bunch of stuff come up. I was like, this is not good. So it was not my preference. Ideally I would have ridden, um, the weekend before several times before you know out on the road kind of get a make sure my bike bike handling is all there and everything that's dependent on the person i've been riding bikes for so long i can pick up the bike handling pretty quick but there was a couple times when i stood to pedal to go up a hill the bike front end got weird on me and that was alarming because it's not locked down anymore but i think aside from that i adapted uh pretty quickly and so there's a stuff where like um, the, the top, top pros have figured this out. Um, and that's where I got my authorization from, you know, where it became okay with me. When I started reading that Andy Potts, 
Lionel Sanders, all these guys, uh, the the best of the best out there, um, train on trainers, and then a little bit on the road, and it keeps them safe, and then it ups their power and all this other stuff, right? And boom, there you go. It worked out all right. Okay, and then let's see. Another tip is the night before the race, I was going to go to the grocery store and get some, uh, you know, like bagels and stuff like that. So I have in the morning. And then Emily goes, what if I, uh, you want me to just make some pancakes? And I thought about it. And pancakes are an awesome, awesome fuel. Uh, pre-race, even during uh, like long, slow, and easy race because they have carbs, but they also have egg in them and maybe a little bit of milk, I think. And so kind of depends on the pancakes you use. So uh, egg, if you do get a protein and a fat, is like really easily digestible. And then you've got your carbs. Uh, they're they're uh, light and fluffy. Um, and uh, what I did was I just put them in a Ziploc and then I was able to... Um, snack on them as I was driving uh, to the race start and the um, yeah it was really really cool so as I was getting ready uh, yeah I would just snack on pancakes because I got to the race start an hour before the race started well about 45 minutes before the race started and um, and then on the drive took about half an hour so you're, you're like over an hour or so of not eating when you could be eating. It would be smart. Why not? You know, but it needs to be digestible and pancakes, man. Pancakes really, really work. If you put them in a Ziploc, I guess you could add some syrup to them if you wanted. And, uh, so that's another big tip right there. The trainer is fine. And then, uh, consider pancakes because they're so they're perfect and they're usable. I never had an upset stomach or anything like that. Um, there was sections of the road that are really bad and it's just because it's a hundred freaking miles you know you're gonna end up on some stuff that's rough one of the best decisions upgrades i ever made to my bike is one of the cheapest upgrades that you could possibly get and it's these elbow pads um called cgs c-e-e-g-e-e-c-g-s cgs and basically they're a little bit thicker not by much, just a tiny little bit thicker. And they're made out of some kind of neoprene or something like that. And they are cushy, man. And they make them per, don't think that, you know, you have a bike that these won't work on. They make them per all the big brand names uh, to replace your um, your stock elbow pads. It's the very first thing I did when I got my Trek. <laughs> Took the old elbow pads off and put got CGs and put them on. They are amazing. And they make bad pavement so much better and uh, if you're going to be spending a long time out there it, it's it's totally worth it okay then let's see oh i found some rear bottle cages that actually work um on so problem is you hit a pothole you hit a bump you whatever you there's a real risk of launching bottles out of your bottle cage on the back of your bike and what happened was um i bought a specialized rear bottle cage mount and then it ended up not working but it came with these two bottle cages and i didn't think much of it you know i was like well i'll just use these on some, one of my bikes or something and the um the cool thing was is i put a water ball on in them and i thought oh my god these things are locked down this is really good and i'm about to tell you the, the brand and model and then um 
during the race, I hit some stuff hard, man. Like um, doing 30-something miles an hour downhill. And then there's a bridge at the bottom and the lip of the pavement, you know, just bang, you go kind of a little bit airborne even. Uh, not much, but, and, you know, it shocks the whole bike and you can hear everything rattling. I mean, it's really crazy. And um, bottles stayed in place like like magic, man. It was awesome. Okay, so these are um, Specialized is the brand and the Rib Cage 2. And they're just the plastic ones. They're the ones that came on. You can get car- carbon fiber or whatever, bottle cages. I don't think people really need that. But this, I finally found it when I was like, oh my gosh this works so now okay now we're up to it you can ride your trainer tons pancakes as pre-race fuel and maybe even on the bike if you wanted to cg's elbow pads specialized rib cage two bottle cages okay and then now zone two is for real that is my note i paid such close attention to um, my heart rate and what happened if I went over zone two and under it. So to start off the race, I was a little bit excited and went out a little bit too hard. And then what happened is once you start going over like two, three hours, um, you go, you overreach out of your zone two, it will bite you back later. And it did. I was really uh, not surprised. It was just really interesting on the uh, way back. Um, because I was in zone three some um, on the way out, I was doing like 250, 260 watts or something like that. On the way out, I ended up on the way back. My power suddenly just started dropping, even though my heart rate was good, which meant my fueling was good. And so I had energy. There was just no power like coming off of me. And... Um, and that's okay because this ride, uh, you got a tailwind on the way back, but man, it wears on you and it's not smart. So there was that. And then also I noticed that when I would go above zone two, um, I started feeling my, my food, which was is really highly processed, highly digestible stuff, which I'll get to in a minute. I could feel it backing up in my stomach and making me a little bit sick. And that's that thing is once you start getting high enough of a heart rate, once you get up in the zone two, out of zone two and in the zone three, you can't digest your food anymore. There's not any blood left in your stomach to and fluid left in your stomach to help digest your food. It's all in your muscles because you're trying so hard. So if you want to go long, you got to slow down. And then if you slow down, you can actually digest the food that you're eating and then with that food now you've got as fuel now running through your body there's a bird going nuts over here then you can actually um kill it out there and have tons of energy for longer so it's weird by actually going slower you go faster over the long run right but we just get short-sighted but if I, went, if I went slower at the beginning, I probably would have gone another half a mile per hour faster or more. Uh, I would have more power at the end. So zone two is for real. Okay. Um, my bike fit was 100% spot on. I just couldn't believe it. I am uh, 100 miles in and my bike position 
I, f- I feel like I could just keep riding in this bike position. Uh, I would say all day, but it was pretty damn good. <laughs> and that's in spite of my longest ride being on the trainer, like uh, three hours. And I didn't really do any of those. I did a lot of two hours. I just didn't have much time this year uh, to do a lot. And so I've cut down big time on my training volume, probably about instead of riding longer rides both days on the weekends, just one day, um, you know, and then that time being a little bit shorter and it's like, well, man, you know, I hope that, uh, I get out there and I'm not freaking dying. And it turns out no. Okay. And so the reason why there's two usable reasons is one on the trainer. If you keep a bike tool nearby, and I've got one just that, that stays near the trainer in my train in my training cave. I can adjust. Um, you have to be okay with, and you have to do it. You have to adjust saddle position, handlebars, anything you want, um, right then and there when you start thinking that maybe something's off. And um, it's so much easier to do on the trainer with the bike tool out and right there than it is to do out on the open road. And then guess. On the trainer, you can do it over and over and over again until you nail it, and which I did. And then the other thing, though, is if you do ride on the trainer a lot, that is easily possible to keep your head down and not be looking forward because you don't really need to. I saw this, somebody posted something like an iPhone mount on their handlebar so they could watch videos while they're on their... Um, while they're on their bike, like on the trainer, they can look down between their elbows and watch videos on their phone. And the first comment was, I wouldn't do this because you need to be looking forward um, to train yourself to hold your neck up, your head up, and your neck will thank you later when you're out on a long ride and you're dying because your neck hurts because you haven't done it in training. So on my, my trainer setup, um, I've made sure that actually the bike computer, um, not the bike computer. Uh, oh, and I forgot to mention, um, mostly I watch YouTube videos and Zwift. I play the video game Zwift. I kind of alternate between the two and listen to music on my iPhone and listen to AirPods. And the, um, the, the, the visual that I have, whatever I'm looking at is a computer monitor in front of me, but it's set at a height where I actually have to look forward as if I'm looking down the road to, uh, I'm riding my bike, right? For real. And, um, if I hadn't have done that, because it is very easy to go, oh, you know, I'll, I'll make it more comfortable and lower it. So it's like, so I'm looking at my hands more or something like that. Um, you're going to have problems if, uh, if you go out and ride the real road for any amount of time and you haven't uh, been practicing uh, holding your, your neck and your head up with your neck. Kind of like if you were swimming and you're kind of looking forward. If you were swimming instead of looking down, that's the position you need on the trainer and the bike. So I had no neck problems. Um, another thing is the uh, Garmin... Um, the first year I did this race, I was not having fun because I didn't know where the bike course went and it was pretty not well, it was okay marked, 
But when you're doing 20, 30 miles an hour and there's a turn and you're not sure, you know, and uh, you're riding out in the front with some other people and they aren't expecting you, um, this is how people go off course, right? And so I, um, the second year I did it, I put the bike course in my bike computer and it told me with a map, you know, if I'm on the road or not, if I'm going the right way, and then if I need, when my next turn is coming up. And uh, also, I'll tell you if you if you go off course, and uh, which I did by mistake mistake one time, <laughs> and that was funny. But I uh, I loved it, absolutely loved it because I'm like, because every once in a while you start questioning yourself, you know, am I going the right way? Did I miss the turn? Uh, mockingbird is going crazy. That's a mockingbird, by the way. The mockingbird is the state bird of Texas. It's uh, just kind of an average-looking bird. It's gray and, and uh, white. Um, but it can mimic like 30 different bird calls or something. And that's why they call it mock, mocking. It's mocking other birds. Um, there he is. I see him. And it's just endless, like the different calls. It's wonderful. It's absolutely beautiful. Um, you could have 30 different songbirds or you could have one mockingbird. <laughs> And apparently they'll mimic humans. If I started calling to him, making some kind of sound, he would um, try to imitate it back, maybe. Anyway, the um, it was totally worth the effort yet again to put the bike course in my, um, in my Garmin. It was so nice. Um, this year we had clear weather, so that wasn't a problem. But the second year um, I did this race, we had um, fog at the start. And this, having the bike course in there really, really helped. And heavy fog. And let's see. Um, oh, since it was kind of dim in the morning, though, uh, when we got started, uh, the, sun, the sun was up, but it was still a little bit dim. I turned the brightness up on my computer, and also there was an option uh, to have GLONASS on. So GLONASS is the Russian GPS system. Um, and it's a little bit more accurate than the USGS GPS system. And so I just left that on. And honestly, I don't, I think that that's bad. Um, if you're doing long stuff, I got a warning on my bike computer towards the end that I was, uh, my battery was running low. And so what I did, if you have this problem, uh, go to your settings and reduce your, your brightness. You know, you typically, if you have a regular normal bike computer, you don't need hardly any brightness at all in the middle of the day. So turn that almost all the way down. And then, um, honestly, for road riding, you probably don't need uh, GLONASS. You could probably just have the regular GPS. And Oh, and GLONASS takes more battery because now you've got GPS and GLONASS, like running at the same time. So it just takes up a little bit more battery. Um, here's another one. Sealant totally is worth it um for the dozenth time in all these years i had a flat tire that sealed itself with sealant and uh, what happened was i crossed the finish line i laid my bike up against a wall with some other bikes i went over had a beer da da da, da. you know sat down for a minute had a pizza roll and a donut and then another beer <laughs> i walked over to my bike to take a picture of my bike Cause I was like, my bike looks pretty cool like that after a couple of beers. And I, uh, I said, there's something wrong with my front wheel, my front tire. And I went and looked and I had a flat and I, um, took out my hand pump in my camel back. I carry a hand pump 
and yeah, I rode with a camelback and, uh, I'll get into all that in a minute, but the, um, I tried to air it up and it aired up, uh, for a few minutes and I came back and it, um, I carry all the CO2 cartridge stuff too, but the, uh, I don't want to waste one on this. Um, I came back and it was flat again. And so basically what, what's happening is the, the sealant was working while the tire was spinning and towards the end there were some really nasty rough roads and something got punctured or it punctured it somehow somewhere and um the sealant uh stopped it but honestly um i only put it in about half as much sealant as i should and um and plus the tire's old the tube's old uh i needed to put a new tube in so the sealant's old and latex sealant goes bad after six to twelve months and so it wasn't enough that when the bike was stopped, it wasn't enough to um, to keep the hole plugged. But if that hadn't happened, if you were doing a race and you didn't have sealant in and you picked up a piece of glass or something like that, the um, you would have a flat tire and you'd have to change your tire. And this, this works, man. Sealant really does work. So the sealant I use... There's a Bontrager brand, which is rated really good. And then there's an orange something brand, which is rated maybe even better. And let's see, another one, you shouldn't do this in, in a real Ironman, but this is just for fun. Uh, I listened to AirPods on the way out and back. And what I did is at halfway point, I swapped them out one time while I was peeing. <laughs> and we got to talk about that. Oh my God, the amount I had to pee was ridiculous. We need to work on that, Brett. And y'all's help to... Uh, tell me what's going on but anyway the um airpods only last about three hours and i was out there almost five hours so what i figured out is i wear an ear pod in one ear and then when i get to a turnaround point and you're stopping to pee or something like that take out one airpod and put it in the charging case and then take out your other airpod that's been in the charging case and then listen to that one and um it works. It works great. So I went from uh, having music in my right ear to having music in my left ear <laughs> for half the ride. And it's wonderful, man. It was, it's really cool. And I was listening to Buddha Bar Radio on Pandora and just uh, going along. And, and you can tell if your fueling is right and your mood is right and your hydration is right if you start kind of dancing to the music while you're, while, you're, um, while you're riding. That's how you know you're fueling is is right on and you're not going too hard and everything's good the last thing is um you really do save um you save about it's like half a mile per hour or something like that maybe even more depending on how hairy you are if you shave your legs and um i'm not opposed to shaving my legs because i grew up on swim teams and we would shave our legs for big big races right what I am opposed to, personally, I think it's a waste of time, is shaving your legs all the time because that's time that you could be out training or if you're an age grouper, you've got family and, and whatever to take care of. And uh, shaving your legs all the time is kind of dumb if you're a guy. And um, unless that's what you want to do, that's your business. But um, if you're on the fence about it, just don't worry about it because um, what you can do instead is what I, what I did the morning of it took me 15 minutes the morning of before i left the house i pulled out uh clippers and i clipped 
the hair on my legs, which is essentially shaving. It gets it down to a millimeter um, from my ankles up to my mid thigh and just clipped off my leg hair and, and it took 15 minutes and that's one time before my big event instead of all the time um, before every training ride and all that other stuff and it only takes a minute and you don't need to shave your legs you just can just you can just clip them real quick and I think it does essentially um, the exact same thing it may be shaving a tiny 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 bit faster but honestly um, then you get that you get that shaved leg look like you're serious and also the other thing is I'm not big into that because um, I did mountain biking before I did road biking you know <laughs> and I was just like yeah I'm not gonna mess with all the shaved leg stuff in my heart I'm a mountain biker probably more than anything else and um, a BMX or mountain biker okay so that is it with all the um, with all the quick usable tips that I wanted to get out there at the front things that you can do um, that really do work and that really helped me and um, uh, you know have a, have a great day out there and have all the good stuff okay I need to get off the mic and do something for a minute and then I'll come back and I'll give you the uh, lowdown on like how the race actually went and that actually will probably take less time than what I just went through uh, because I've already covered all this other stuff but just like the story real quick of how uh, that day went and how I ended up uh, in first place. All right, I'll be back in just a second. Help me. All right, let's go ahead and hop on over to our sponsors. We want to mention them, give them a shout out. Okay, on the left-hand side of the podcast webpage, zentrathlon.com, you can uh, help Support the show. There's a little PayPal link. You can do donations one time or recurring. And our donors this episode are Houston Marsh. What's up, dude? Uh, Michael Radogna, Derek Riddell, Allison Frutos, Matthew Heinz, Michael Wilkinson, M. Webb, Curtis Fossen, Spiros Fetsis, Tyler Moyer, Dwayne Morin, Joseph Deaver, and Rick foster all right these are the people that help keep the show on the air super super cool and also you can go on the right hand side of the same website zentrathlon.com and find a link for hornet juice hornet juice is a an amino acid supplement that you can add to your fuel i did it during the uh, Grand Fondo that we're talking about this episode. And it makes you feel like a diesel engine. The power just keeps pouring on. Uh, one packet lasts an hour and a half. So it's great for the long distance stuff. And yeah, it's based on the amino acid profile that killer hornets, Japanese killer hornets use to power themselves. And they're the heaviest bug for the longest distance flying. And they uh, do it by burning body fat. The uh, scientists sat down in a lab and figured out what they were doing to, uh, to get it done. And this is it. And when replicated in humans, it is amazing. I absolutely, absolutely love it. It's good stuff. And when you order it, it comes from New Zealand. So you got something kind of cool. And it also uh, helps support the show a little bit. It goes to Zentri for us promoting them. And then... You get 
an email from me as well. So then you have my email address. And if you have any questions, you can email me a question and I'll answer it. Might even answer it on the show. All right. Let's get back to the episode. All right. We are going to talk about the five hindrances, but really in particular, just one. And uh, since we're going to talk about Buddhism and Zen, we have our resident Zen master here, Suji. Maybe you can hear him purring. What's that? Your jingle jingle? Where's your jingle jingle? There's your collar. Okay, Suji got out the other day and we had to rescue him. <laughs> but anyway, that's our not our nice uh, calming therapy cat. And uh, also, um, there's a an odd uh, fact to know is one reason that we find... Uh, purring so soothing is the resonance and purring is the same rpm i guess the same cadence the same tone as a diesel engine not weird go listen to a diesel truck and if you kind of quiet it quiet it down a little bit it is a little bit like a cat purr that's pretty cool all right we have the five hindrances okay so in buddhism which Zen is a sect of, there is, um, they're not really sins. Buddhism doesn't have sins per se, you know. It has just suggestions and things that are holding you back, and that's why they're called hindrances. And uh, Buddhism came around uh, 500 years before Christianity. There's a little bit of a suggestion that when um, Jesus was gone for 30-something years or whatever, that maybe he picked up some of this and brought it back and did his own flavor of it because, man, this is real and really cool stuff. And Buddhism is big on kindness and stuff too. And that's why they can get along so well. And we have uh, the five hindrances. So one is, we're going to go deep on just one, uh, the fourth one. But uh, sensory desire, so the particular type of wanting that seeks for happiness through the five senses of sight, sound, smell, taste, and physical feeling. So this is wanting something uh, for the feel of it, Um, sex, uh, let's see, wanting that car, wanting that food, Uh, desire. Desire and and not having the thing that you want uh, causes suffering, and that holds you back. Uh, Two is ill will, and it's all kinds of thoughts related to wanting to reject feelings of hostility, resentment, hatred, and bitterness. And then third is very familiar uh, to most of us listening here in the English language, sloth and torpor. Heaviness of the body and dullness of mind, which drag down into disabling inertia and thick depression. And then fourth is restlessness and worry. And that's an interesting one, huh? You don't hear that one, I don't think, so much in Christianity, the restlessness. But that's the one we're actually going to cover today and how to deal with that. And then doubt is the last one. And we're going to cover a little bit of doubt. Maybe we'll do restlessness and doubt. And... What happened was, is I was listening to, I was out running, of course, and I was listening to 
the Dharma Seed podcast. And let me click on my phone here. I've got a picture of the uh, exact episode so that we, um, so that I have it for us to, so that you can go listen to it, not for my own keeping here, because I've heard it already. And we go to photos, and it is the one from February 28th. John Martin, I think is his name. John Martin. And about 30 minutes in, all the podcast is Dharma Seed. And about 30 minutes in, he talks about um, the, well, he talks about all these, but there was something that came up and he was talking about restlessness and what to do about restlessness. And again, these aren't sins. These are things that are holding you back. And it was something that I've learned to do already. And hearing a, uh, Buddhist Zen, I wouldn't call him a master. I'm not sure if he's a master or not, but expert lecturer talk about to do something that I've discovered to do was validation. It was like, oh, wow. Okay. So this is hundred percent right. I need to talk about it, uh, at least on this episode and get it out there because it is suggested, suggested, and I'm right on with this. So he said, uh, they were at some retreat and they're, they're trying to, uh, he's trying to, they're new and they're, you know, they're going to be doing days of calm sitting and, and trying to, not think too much. And he said, if you notice, this is this is the part that's about 30 minutes in. If you notice that you are trying to clear your mind and not be caught up in the past or future, that thoughts, the first few days, thoughts about the thoughts about things that maybe you forgot when you on your way here or that you need to do when you leave are going to keep arising. And you should have a piece of paper and a pen out to write these things down so that you can put them away. And this is huge. Uh, restlessness can be akin to uh, waves on ripples on water created by the wind that are occluding the clarity of the water. So what you want is the water to be still so that it can be clear. And then with the clarity, then you can see, oh, this is how this whole situation is. This is how the world works. This is maybe how I should deal with this problem, you know, because now it's calm, everything's calm. And that's why you go sit and uh, try to not do anything. But these thoughts like, oh, when I when I get to work, I need to do this. Or oh man, is is uh is does my car have gas in it? <laughs> does it have enough gas for this trip? You know things that keep coming up. Uh, that argument that you got in, and the things that you so- should have said. That discussion on a forum, like oh man, when that person replies, they're gonna, I'm gonna say this back to them, and all that crap. That oh hey, get out of here. That's our non-zen master dog. And the, uh, that's Zoe, the, um, these things that don't allow you, these things that you can't do anything about in the past, really, and that you can't do anything about it because it's too far in the future, uh, you can't do anything about right now, are keeping you from being clear about right now and really thinking about the most important things, the things that you actually can do 
and want to do. And so they are like ripples on the water. And psychologists say that they're in your subconscious and they're, oh, and this is also a getting things done, GTD, um, which is a huge uh, part of this, huge part of this. This is may, maybe where I actually learned this one technique. They keep coming up because your subconscious is is not done thinking about these things yet. And because you haven't written them down. And in GTD, getting things done, um, the whole key is you can have clarity of thought and uh, be present for the now if you write down your tasks so you don't forget them. Your brain is bothering you because you haven't written them down. So it thinks that it keeps bothering you so that to, to keep you remembering so you don't forget. But if you write it down, then your brain knows that you've written it down and it has to be written down in a place that you know the, um, that's, a, that's a safe place that you know you're going to look at later. If you just write things down and just throw it away or whatever, that doesn't help. It needs to be a consistent place that you always have. So your notebook that you take with you everywhere, whatever. And um, if you write these things down, then your brain lets go of it and then you can be present in the now. And that helps majorly with the restlessness. An example in triathlon would be uh, this race coming up. I, uh, I, don't, I don't know... Uh, what am I training right? You know, am I doing the uh, the right? Well, that's more of a doubt thing. But the restlessness, like I need to, um, I'm wandering around looking for my gear. I I need to find things and stuff. And and uh, should I wear these shoes or should I wear those shoes? Should I wear these shoes or should I wear those shoes? Should I wear this helmet? Or should I wear that helmet? <laughs> Write it down and then create a bulleted list that spawns out. Um, with sub bullets and stuff like that. If I wear this helmet, then this will happen, this will happen, this will happen. And if I wear this pair of shoes, then this and this and this. And then once you solve it on paper, like the steps of what you're gonna do, your brain lets it go. It's the coolest thing, coolest thing. Um, a bulleted uh, list maker, like Google Tasks, the old one, where you can just continuously make sub bullets and then collapse them is a really cool uh, way to deal with that. And then um, also workflowy and .com and Dynalist, D-Y-N-A, Dynalist.com allows you to uh, create bullets and collapse them and expand them and sub, sub bullets and stuff like that. They're both online and you can think out a problem uh, until it runs out of gas. It's really cool. So um, do I have all my stuff together for the race tomorrow? Okay, so I make the big bullets. Um, get up, go to the race, finish the race. Okay, and then under those, you can create sub-bullets, right? Uh, what do I eat after I get up, right? So it's got like eat breakfast. And then I did this actually for my bike ride. And then, you know, get this together and get that together. And as you start visualizing and thinking out the the morning before the race, you start realizing, oh, I got that handled, I got that handled, I got that handled. Oh, I don't have that handled. And then now you've got a checklist. Oh, and if I get a flat tire, do this. And you're like, oh, wait, I don't have a flat kit. So you got in there, check your flat kit, right? And then for that thing that's got you restless, you've got a whole plan of what to do. And these things allow you to make uh, these bullets, turn them into check boxes, and then you can check them off 
um, the morning of on your way to the race. I did this. It's fantastic. It's really, really great. And then when you uh, go to bed the night before and get up in the morning, you have 99.999%. There's always like something, you know, that you're like, what? <laughs> Forgot. But you have all these things um, uh, thought of, and then you can sleep well, and that gets rid of your restlessness, the thing that's holding you back. And when you get up in the morning, you can have confidence of when uh, you get to the start of the race that you got everything handled. And then, because you've thought of like sunscreen. I mean, like you think of everything. You've let your list run out until there's no more list to be made. And then um, what to do if you have a flat tire, right? If it's the front, do this. If it's the back, do that. Um, you've thought it all out. And uh, there's a famous, I don't know if it was Eisenhower, but uh, every plans, plans are um, useless in battle, but also, God, I can't believe I can't remember the quote exactly, but a plan is indispensable. You need to make a plan. And then also when you get there, be ready to throw the entire plan out the window because as Mike Tyson said, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. <laughs> I love that one. <laughs> then you got to be able to go on the fly, but at least you've thought of the different scenarios and what to do. And if you've got your post-race or workout thing um, uh, outlined, it's just making an outline basically, uh, outline, then you, um, you're more likely to do the right thing. If, uh, after the, after the event race workout, whatever, a really thing, a really good thing to do is to do this the night before every day, as you go to bed, make a bulleted list of your plan for tomorrow. And then you're much more likely to follow through with it. Don't drink diet Cokes, right? Put that on your list, <laughs> all these things. Um, and then you sleep on it. And as you sleep on it, your subconscious kind of solves some of these problems and you've visualized and acted it out. It's a big thing in sports to visualize the perfect race, uh, what to do. Then you're more likely to do it because you've kind of done it already in your mind and your brain and body doesn't know much different. And then you can be step four along past step four in your um, your five hindrances. Uh, the fifth one, which is really interesting, uh, the doubt is this, this lecturer, uh, Mr. Martin, said that um, that's like the water itself isn't clear. And uh, the Brazos River runs nearby here. And there's a great country song, kind of folk country, that says the Brazos runs muddy like she's run all along. That river is brown. <laughs> You can't see anything in it. It's just sediment runoff and stuff. Some rivers are clear, some are brown. Um, some are white. And the, uh, well, some water's black. If it's got a lot of tannic acid from pine needles, water can be like black. It's got alligators in it. You gotta be careful. But the, um, if water is not clear, it doesn't matter that there's waves on top or not. You still can't see see through it. And that is doubt. You're unsure of if what you're doing is the right thing to do at all, right? And that is the, um, that is the, the fifth hindrance. And we're not going to go too much into that one, but uh, removing doubt kind of comes from confidence and confidence comes from experience. Experience creates wisdom and then you know what to do and what not to do. So the water may be um, not clear exactly, but to make it clear, you need to map the bottom. 
a little bit and know what's down there. And then, then you'll, from experience, you got to go look and then you can get rid of that. Uh, that, that just shows that you're just not really sure that the thing you're going to do is the thing you need to do. And we'll talk about that in a future episode. I don't have the solution for that right now. But anyway, that's the, um, that's how to cure restlessness and the mind kind of going blah, 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 like on a broken record. The same question keeps coming up again. What am I going to do? What am I going to do about this? Write it down as a task and put it in a safe place where you put all your tasks and use it as a checklist of things to do. And that should help put it away. All right, let's go ahead and get back to the show. Out. All right, let's step away from the regular content here for a minute and drop in on a little Amrita bars. I just got off the phone with Arshad, the owner of Amrita bars. And he said that let's go ahead and change the discount code to Zen2018 so we can keep track of things for the year. And he also wanted to talk to Kai, which is really cool and help sponsor Kai with being an Amrita athlete. And I was really, really excited. This is Kai's uh, first uh, sponsorship. And uh, Kai's my 13-year-old son. He's big in the triathlon. And uh, is just killing it out there. And uh, that just goes to, goes to show how much the, um, the Amrita Bars group is behind uh, Zentri and a fan of you guys out there as well and a believer in the show. And what you can do is get your own Amrita bars with the discount code of Zen2018 and you get $10 off your initial order. And also for all ongoing, ongoing orders, you get another 10% off. And let's see, when you get to $150 total, you can get a free Amrita top. So that would be a cycling jersey, a running uh, shirt, uh, tri-top. They just have to send you... Send uh, Arshad an email so you can go to amritahealthfoods.com and check out all their stuff. They've got date-based bars that are really good with the um, no nuts, uh, gluten-free. We're just like super, super healthy, super clean, easy to eat, uh, great for being on the bike and just uh, super easy to digest. I had one uh, the other morning before going out on a ride. It took me uh, forever to get going on a uh, on a workout, so I started snacking on them. And then I have them at work, and it's really great because I know that um, they're going to be super healthy. And they have like a whole bunch of different flavors. They have uh, protein recovery bars, all that good stuff. So again, check them out at amritahealthfoods.com and use discount code ZENTRY2018 at checkout. All right, we are going to answer a really good question from BRAD628, I think, on Instagram. Uh, I don't have it right in front of me right this second. But anyway, he asked a question about hitting a plateau and then the frustration of people being faster than you. And his is specifically with the pool, and that's what I'm going to talk about, uh, how we handle this in the pool. And uh, But just remember that you can use these same techniques uh, for running and biking if you're not interested in all the swimming talk. So let me turn off the, uh, the AC here. It's a little chilly. The... Um, he said he's been, uh, he's an adult onset swimmer. He's been swimming a while and then hit a plateau and then, um, 
and by a while, you know, like uh, a few weeks to months maybe, and then hit a plateau and uh, doesn't seem to be getting any faster, but he doesn't want to go swim because he's pissed off. He's in a funk, I think is the word he said, that um, the people around him are faster than him. And this is very irritating. <laughs> okay, so let me tell you uh, one thing for sure is this is real. Um, it's a real illusion. Uh, it's, a, it's a feeling you're having that is very frustrating and, and not necessary. Okay, and they've proven it. At A few years ago, they ran an experiment either at West Point or the Naval Academy. And they took uh, incoming students, cadets, that had looked like they were going to struggle academically and maybe, you know, not make it. And they put them with um, either an A and a B group. They put them, maybe a C group, maybe a control group, but with, uh, you have a roommate when you go there. So they paired them with a roommate that was either academically awesome or academically just slightly better than the um than the kid with uh with with potentially bad grades and what they found was the if the students the cadets that were with that were paired up with their roommates who they're exposed to all the time you know the study habits and everything that were academically awesome those cadets were likely to um, fail out, have terrible grades, and it's because the gap was too big and it was frustrating, so they just threw their hands up in the air and wanted to quit, kind of like what you're talking about right now. And because everybody's swimming so much faster than you, you want to quit. And then in the, uh, if they were paired with a roommate that was just uh, somewhat better than them, they saw that as not a bridge too far. They were like, oh... Oh, I just got to change these few things and I can be as, as uh, good, at least as good as this guy, right? And it's kind of like a wall versus a staircase. You see a wall, you're like, I can't go over that, right? That's the whole point of a wall is you can't go over it. Uh, but a staircase is a wall, but with tiny little steps in it, right? And so you just go up, up, up. And then you're like, oh, that's no problem. I just climb those stairs because each little step up doesn't seem insurmountable. Well, in the pool on good swim teams that uh, I noticed this, they do the slowest lane, say you're like at the diving blocks and you're facing the, you know, you're on the edge on the wall and you're facing out across the pool. The pools that I, it just happened to be a coincidence, the pools that I uh, swam in, the three, four, five swim teams I was on, slowest is in lane one, fastest, and it, it ramps up fastest in lane eight if it was an eight lane pool let's say and you you start off in one of the slower lanes they kind of can tell and then what happens is it's it's magic (laughs) you're you're faster than the people once you get into lane two because there's always new people coming in right that are going to be slower eventually you're going to work your way up to lane two well now you're faster than somebody and that makes you feel good well, let's say you start off in lane one. You're only slightly slower than people in lane two. You work your way up and you're in the water and you're swimming next to them constantly. So you see their form, you see what they're doing, right? And that's really all you can see is the lane to the left and the lane to the right. That's that's your limited vision. You can't see any further than that, farther than that when you're swimming much, really. So you, you 
see on your right side somebody the group that's just slightly faster than you and you start trying to copy everything that they're doing they're like oh when they push off the wall they streamline more than i do oh they keep their head down oh they flip turn longer or faster or whatever or wow they're they're pulling harder you know there's like endless little things that you pick up on and then after a while you work your way up from lane two to lane three and lane four lane five lane six lane seven and uh you know where you end up going is your full potential so when you're swimming one thing is to quit comparing yourself to people that are way better than you you got to figure out some way to swim next to people that are only slightly faster than you and not people in the same lane even per se but people one lane over so it makes you feel good that you're um that you're swimming like that so i don't know if you can do that or not you know in your swim situation and then the other thing is you got to quit comparing yourself you, you pull the the uh go nuclear option and quit comparing yourself to other people and compare yourself to yourself and just try to improve and and notice when you swim faster than yourself and to do that you use the pace clock or your watch and you're like okay i'm gonna do 10 50s and it takes me a minute to swim a 50 and so i'm gonna do that okay and you just gotta ignore everybody else and go okay now i'm gonna try to swim 1050s and try to do it on uh, 58 seconds or 55 seconds or something like that. And then when you start beating your own times, because now you're training yourself, you're trying to train yourself, not train other people. (laughs) And then you can go, oh, now I am getting better. And then that makes you feel good about what you're doing. And then you can... um, uh, you know, be happier in the pool. So there's a million ways to do that with the, with the pace clock. You pick workouts uh, with repeatable things in them, and mem- remember the different uh, times that it takes you to do them, and try to improve on those times of yourself, and uh, not versus other people around you. And that's if you're um, that's if you are swimming like solo or not on a swim team. Okay. If you end up in a swim, swimming class, ask the coach to put you in between lanes of people that are slightly slower and slightly faster than you. Okay. That's it. Out bang. All right. Let's not forget our main homies, Salt Stick. Salt Stick is the sodium electrolyte, potassium, magnesium, all the good stuff that matches what you sweat out. They sat down in a lab like our friends in Hornet Juice and figured out what you're actually sweating out when you work hard and then put that into a capsule so that you can put it back in. It's all the good stuff. During my uh, 100 mile Grand Fondo, I did one salt salt stick cap uh, per hour. I mixed it right into my uh, fuel and it was fantastic, man. Like I said, I started to get cramps and then it went away. Really good stuff. So my electrolytes were on point. All right, you can get Salt Stick by going to saltstick.com slash Zentry. And when you go there, it'll ask you what's the password. Because what's the password? And it is Zentry. <laughs> 
Oh man, that's great. And let's see, you can, uh, I think it's 25% off is what you get. But anyway, there's also a store locator at saltstick.com or shopsaltstick.com is another website they have. Uh, if you live out of the United States, the discount's only good for uh, inside the United States. But anyway, you need to make your water stick or else it'll run right through you. And the way you make it stick is with extra electrolytes. And um, yeah, it really does work. It's really good stuff. I can tell if I don't use salt stick then I crave salt the rest of the day after a, uh, a longer bike ride, for example, here in the Texas heat. And if I do use salt stick, then I don't go binging on potato chips and other salty crappy junk like that. It really is a smart way to go do things. And it's used by tons and tons and tons of pros. And they have that uh, dispenser that you can twist and get your, um, get your salt stick like uh, extruded one uh, capsule at a time. It is really amazing stuff. So again, go to saltstick.com slash Zentry and then use the password Zentry and that'll get you in for your discount and make your water stick with salt stick. All right, back to the show. All right, let's cover the uh, personal things that went down in the Grand Fondo. I wanted to save this towards the end because so it's the individual things that I did that you may uh, not uh, be that interested in, but you may also, it kind of depends on the person. So I'm, I fit I fit this in as uh, kind of an after here, but it's looking at my notes, it's uh, very useful stuff. The uh, day before, wait, hold on. There we go. Um, I've been having trouble with the rear bottle rack on the back of my bike and in Ironmans, that's a really handy thing to have is these bottle cages behind your saddle. And it's a very aerodynamic place to put one or two uh, bottles. But uh, there's all different brands and you know, it's not very standardized. And I've got one from Minora, M-I-N-O-U-R-A, which I really, really love. It keeps the bottles vertical so that uh, they don't want to bounce out. And, uh, but with this new saddle, I've got an ISM and it's their narrow saddle. It's a double prong saddle where the seat rails are, um, more vertical in the back and also closer to the front of the saddle. So 99% of your bottle cage holders aren't going to work on this thing. And I started trying to bend this aluminum alloy bar, these bars that hold this rack together. And then I read that I was going to snap them before they bend. aluminum, solid aluminum stuff will bend, will break. And usually when they say alloy, they mean aluminum. Although alloy can be any kind of metal, blends of metal, but uh, there's titanium alloy, there's steel alloys. Most steel is an alloy and we're all pretty much all steel. And then uh, aluminum alloy is usually in the bike industry, what they call alloy for whatever reason. And they, um, they said, you got to torch it. And this was just Google and stuff on YouTube. It had nothing to do with cycling. So you got to torch, you got to heat it up with a torch and then you can bend it and then be careful while you're doing it. So it takes about two, three minutes to heat up aluminum to get it hot enough. So I did that. I posted a video on Instagram, Zentrathon uh, on Instagram and posted this video of me torching it. And I bent it and I bent it into the shape that I needed. And that was really, really cool. 
And when you're tapering, there's lots of things that you should um, do to keep you busy. Because um, you start going a little bit stir crazy, uh, not being able to train as much because you need to taper. Well, that's the time to tweak things, mess with stuff, uh, just as long as you don't ruin whatever you're doing. It's a good time to ruin your stuff. Uh, the day of the race, I got up and forgot that, that I had uh, needed to shave my leg hair. And it actually makes a difference of a half a mile per hour to maybe even a mile per hour of uh, drag, depending on the person. And just a real quick tip, you don't have to, if you want to save time in triathlon, you're an age grouper and you want to um, maximize your training time and everything, don't shave all the time. That's time you could be out training. Just clip your leg hair with leg with a, a beard trimmer uh, on its maximum setting, uh, closest setting, uh, the day before the race. But anyway, I did it the morning of the race in the garage so it was quieter. Um, and it took like 15 minutes. And I just did from my ankles up to the middle of my thighs. Coffee, maple syrup. Getting ready to go swim. One tablespoon of maple syrup. Okay, then uh, it, the taper was driving me a little bit crazy. I wanted to go running more than anything. And I thought that that was a good sign because I'm overcoming plantar fasciitis and the fact that I wanted to go run and I didn't want to taper, you know, was a good sign that when I was done, I was going to get right back to it. Also, I talk on occasion and I will continue to talk more and do a show in detail on what is a soul triathlete. Soul triathlete is somebody who has transcended racing and just likes to train and then race on occasion. And I um, I saw a post on Slow Twitch the other day. This guy was like, okay, I'm kind of new to triathlon. And what's wrong with, uh, what do I need for this? And what's what's uh, what do y'all think of this, this uh, race schedule? And it was like 15 races over the next months. And I, I wanted to reply back so bad. I'd be like, dude, this is an injury schedule <laughs> and a burnout schedule. Learn to love to train, but you got to get there on yourself. So I didn't, I didn't say anything. And uh, let's see. I, um, oh, I went straight from the trainer to the road, which I think I may have mentioned earlier. Um, I swapped out my wheels the day before and adjusted the brakes so that they fit. And on a super bike, um, it's hard to adjust the brakes. And this is because, well, they're all integrated and stuff, but you have to adjust the brakes because a lot of times you're, this is if your training wheels aren't the same width as your racing wheels and mine aren't. And that's a long story. My racing wheels are 10 years old, maybe 11 years old. And so they're a little bit narrower. And they just happen to be because wheels got wider recently. And let's see. Uh, and I never, I think I took the bike out on the pavement for, no, I don't think I did at all. I think it was just from the parking lot to the race start is the only time I tested my brakes and my bike fit, which I was not happy about. Um, and this is because I left too much stuff to the last minute. So um, you want to not do that. Um, it made for a little bit of stress and and could have gone bad. Uh, let's see. I made up my fuel the morning of, and I'm still keeping my super fuel a little bit secret because I want to work out a deal with them and I'll get it to y'all because it really freaking works and, uh, and you know, get a, get a discount on the show. But I did use Hornet juice as well. And what I did was to simulate an Ironman, I, and to really test the fuel and not screw up the fuel, I, um, sacrificed a little bit of performance and for speed and made up a, 
I figured I was going to be out there for five hours at most. And then so a bottle per hour. So I made up the bottle between my arms. That's your BTA between the arms bottle and two bottles on the frame and then two bottles behind the seat of, um, of fuel. And then I had a camelback full of water that I've refilled about halfway there. And that was my, uh, my, uh, hydration and considering it wasn't all that hot when I get to the whole point of me having to pee so much, maybe that's the reason why, <laughs> uh, let's see, we headed out and <clears throat> the race start. Oh, before the race started, I, I met up with a bunch of people just by accident, you know, people I know and stuff and was talking with them. And then we, uh, oh, I was eating pan, you know, pancakes out of a Ziploc, just casually as needed, not to overfuel or anything like that. And yeah, I got to the race site and finished getting ready there. And this was going to be my first outdoor ride in months. And the weather was actually kind of nice. It was a little bit chilly and, um, but it was going to be sunny and warm up a little bit. So I, um, at the last minute I ditched my gloves. That's all the extra I had. I had arm coolers on to keep the sun off. And so I basically had long sleeves and even though they're arm coolers, if it's cold outside, they actually keep you a little bit warm. They transition on their own, uh, from arm warmers to arm coolers. If uh, you're starting off when it's cool and then when it gets hot and they're made by DeSoto, any arm coolers will do that <clears throat> if they're thin. All right. I got to go in to go swim. We'll pick up with the bang, go start of the race, uh, and the race finish, uh, as, as, uh, well, when we come back, all right, I gotta go swim, swimmy, swim, swim, out, bang. All right, we are leaving the pool. Oh, oh going outside. Here's your soundscape. There's a grackle. Oh. First birds ever. <laughs> and oh man, there he goes. Really, really good swim. Good mood. Ignore the grackles. And let's see, let's start off. Oh, well for the swim I did four blocks of 15 minutes on a 119 pace. And they're whatever your pace you do, if you if you do blocks of 15 minutes. Um try to keep a constant pace i use a beep timer on my watch so that i can just feel a garmin beeps and vibrates on your wrist a garmin 920 xt so you can tell if you're on pace or not without having to stop and look at a clock it's brilliant brilliant design by garmin by accident <laughs> but anyway i um it's it's easy and then it gets kind of medium hard and then by the end it gets hard which is exactly a good workout. And four times, it's exactly like lifted weights four times. Okay, let's uh, talk about, roll over the start, started talking to a, a neighbor of mine, a female neighbor, uh, ex-neighbor. Uh, we still live in the same neighborhood, we just moved houses. And then, all good, caught up with her. And then they started the, um, the announcements before the race, you know, American Anthem, stuff like that. And then they announced that, had a special announcement that the winner of the 500, this is Saturday morning, that the winner of the 500 mile gravel Grand Fondo, <laughs> it's a mix of pavement and gravel, um, 
was with us and that he broke the record, which makes it a race. And he uh, finished last night and he's over here and, and there's this guy, looked like he was in his 30s, uh, smiling and waving. I was like, God dang, he just ran, he just broke the record on a 500 mile gravel gravel ride and he's over there like happy and waving he's probably high on caffeine that's what i've learned and beer they had free beer carbach brewery anyway so they said okay we're going to start off there's all these different distances we're going to start off with 100 milers first y'all get up front and then we're going to kick off the other people after that and so then they said let's go and um, there was a bunch of uh, roadies from groups of roadies from different cycling clubs, Houston, Dallas, Austin, that kind of stuff. And <clears throat> we took off. And the first thing I try to do is simulate like an Ironman and try to get my uh, try to start casual, but also get my heart rate up to zone two as efficiently and quickly as possible. And it's pretty technical at first. A lot of a lot, it's real hilly and some turns and stuff. Um, and by the time I got to a straightaway where it was where it leveled out a little bit, I noticed I had a train of people behind me, and I wasn't I was in first I guess, and um, I don't know maybe five people behind me maybe more I don't know you don't want to turn around and look too much or else you'll crash, but I noticed that I had uh, some people behind me and I'm like well this is like every year, <laughs> and then I um, then it goes. There's some turns and then it goes a little bit hilly again with some pretty good hills. And um, that's where every year some roadies pass me because they're big into doing the um, going too hard uphill. And uh, triathlon, to get successful in triathlon, you have to learn to hold back on the hills because over time they'll wear you out. And so right from the beginning, you need to hold back on the hills. And so I was holding back on the hills and some people passed me and then I'd pass them back on the downhill, especially because my bike was loaded up with five water bottles and a a camelback. And I'm about 15 pounds overweight of my uh, race weight. (laughs) And uh, so I was, I was a heavy, I was like a brick house, but uh, so I'm just, so that's makes it easy for people to pass me going uphill. And then, um, and for me to catch him going downhill. So then after a while, then it finally leveled out. We're maybe 20, 20, 30 minutes in. And then it starts hitting this river bottom. It gets flat. And going into this uh, pretty decent headwind. 15 miles per hour on average. Uh, God, this person. I don't know what this person's doing. Okay. Uh, needed to merge. And somebody was going like half a mile per hour. But anyway, uh, strong headwind coming uh, at us and then also from the side a little bit a mix and when you're doing a course and it's an out and back into a headwind uh, well anytime you're going into headwind you need to go a little bit harder because physics and math which is physics uh, says um, you need to get out of that headwind it's kind of like going uphill um, you go a little bit harder and that way you're done with it sooner and then you can spend more you want to spend less time in the friction and more time with the tail pushing and um, and our predominant winds are out of that direction this this course went kind of south first and then uh, came back and we um, 
I went a little bit too hard going into the headwind because on the way back I started to uh, have a little bit of trouble I was fading in uh, power wise but I'll get to that in a minute so I'm uh, riding along and I'm doing good and oh I, I pass the one guy that was in front of me that had passed me on a hill and um, uh, I'm always really friendly to everybody because you never know who um, one it's because it's nice and then two because uh, you might need their help when they pass you back later when you have a flat or you've crashed or something like that, right? So uh, never be a dick out on the bike. And, um, and that's against my nature anyway. So I've just noticed that I go out of my way to be friendly. So I talked to the guy just for a second. I go, it's a nice day for a ride, man. And he was like, yeah. And there were some people on tri-bikes, like I said. And um, <clears throat> so anyway, I... Uh, the other thing I do is when you're doing a really long ride, um, I also go out of my way to thank the uh, cops and the other volunteers to um, and say thanks for their their uh, their time. And uh, like I'll slow to a coast and, and always go thank you so much, you know, and take that extra time because it's it's uh, twofold. One, um, you should thank them, and then that way they don't think that they do a better job of stopping cars and stuff like that when they feel like you care and that you appreciate it. And then also, um, taking that extra time when you're going a long way slows you down a little bit and, um, allows you to catch your breath just a little bit. And, uh, we tend to go too hard whenever we go long, like I'm explaining. And every little bit where you hold back a little bit, is actually, if you're kind of competitive, is actually smart, and in the end, it pays off. <sighs> Allows you to uh, recuperate just a little bit. And it was about an hour in, or something like that. It was the first time I had to pee. And uh, sometimes, if I'm being super competitive, I'll pee. It's good training to learn how to pee on the bike. And those of you that are that are uh, new to triathlon and um, new to the uh, longer distance. Uh, and haven't discovered this yet this is not me being weird this is what long distance competitive long distance triathletes do is they learn to pee while riding the bike you coast on a downhill lift your crotch up off the saddle a little bit and let it fly and it blows off of you mostly and um and usually you pour water over yourself while you're biking and running and stuff and it ends up rinsing off and you rinse off your bike and it's not a big deal. The world champions do it. Everybody does it. That's good. So, um, I always have to put that disclaimer in there. Um, and I've, I'll do it on rare occasion in training, rare occasion in training. Um, but in a race, I sometimes do it. Sometimes I stop over and pee. It just kind of depends. And, if it's a really flat course, then it's difficult to do because uh, you need kind of a downhill. Uh, and Chrissy Wellington's book, uh, she talks about how she peed on purpose to get people out from drafting behind her. <laughs> she would spray them with her pee. And anyway, uh, but I've got new cycling shoes and I thought, and I also wanted to drink some beer when I was done and just chill. And I was like, I'm not going to sit in cycling shorts uh, with a little bit of pee in them 
and I'm not going to get pee in my cycling shoes. So no, I'm going to pull over and pee. So I was ahead, and so I pulled over and took a whiz, and I'm about like an hour in, right? And I'm like, well, that's a little early. And then like 30, 45 minutes again, I need to pee so bad. And it's, I pull over and pee, and it only takes like, you know, a minute, 30 seconds to a minute. But, and if you're out in the country, uh, you don't need to get off your bike. You just straddle your, if you're a guy, you straddle your bike, turn to the side, make sure the wind's coming from behind you a little bit and then uh, just pee and then uh, you can hear a car coming you know and then clean yourself up pull everything up so they can't see you and that's how you do it but this peeing was getting really annoying and um, I mean really annoying and I've got this problem where sometimes I need to pee way too much and there's like 10 different if you look up on WebMD then it means uh you know, you'll find out that you've got throat, butt, and nut cancer if you look up anything. You know, I've got a freckle on my thumb. I mean, you're going to die in a week <laughs> <It's> <laughs> of heart cancer, and that's uh, WebMD. So there's like 10 reasons of why you could be peeing too much. Uh, listening to Triathlon Terrence, Austin 70.3, he said he had to pee a ton. I don't remember if it was a cold race. And... You know, honestly, it probably has to do with the amount of water I was drinking and the temperature uh, being cold. Because a lot of times I can ride and I'm and I'm fine. So it's something in the environment mostly, or something I'm doing. And then um, I stopped at an aid station. It was the furthest out aid station in Burton, Texas. You guys got to go check it out. And I talked to this burly guy that was like a lumberjack with a mountain bike out there, and he was manning the one aid station, and he was cool. And I'll tell you about that when I come back. I got to go into W to the ERK. All right, back. I'm all way to Freebirds World Burrito. Okay, so I'm uh, at the turnaround, basically. And yeah, there's this guy out there. Looks like a lumberjack. And uh, I start talking to him. He's super cool mellow he said he was a little bit older than me he was 48 or something like that and he said um yeah man oh first thing i try to do is ask people about themselves right not make everything about me so i go oh uh i said thanks a lot man for coming on here and and helping out and he goes oh yeah i love this stuff i go do you ride bikes and he goes yeah man i ride mountain bikes and something or another and then he goes i like to live i live off the grid And that means you like no power, no whatever. And uh, and he said that he's got some property and and uh, he rides around on that. And he was they call it sugar sand, but it's real fine sand. And he said that he pulled his his leg muscle um, mountain biking the other day, sugar sand. But he has a Cannondale and like some other stuff, and they're old. And he just loves it, whatever. And I said that's really cool. Thanks, thanks so much. And uh, and I was refilling a Camelback and uh, all that stuff. And he goes, let me get a picture of you so we can get a photo of who was here first. I can send it out to everybody so that they know who to look for. Um, and I said, yeah, cool. And at that point, he was, uh, I was waiting to get back on my uh, bike. And then some roadies passed me. I think I mentioned that earlier. And then I passed them back a little bit later. They asked me 
uh, are you all right? And I said, yeah. And then uh, a little while later when I passed them back, I go, are you all right? <laughs> but anyway, I um, was, I love that tongue click. I need to get rid of that. But I was doing the uh, Starkowitz thing, uh, one of the fastest American Ironman possibly, and uh, was, he's a bigger guy, you put your fuel in your, between the arms bottle, your BTA bottle, and drink that, and you can have your fuel and concentrate on your bike, you know, different places, so you have one, two, three big bottles full of fuel concentrate, and then you put that an hour's worth in the uh, bottle between your hands, between your arms, and then also add water to dilute it, to get it to the right amount for an hour. It's a very common trick. And that's what I was doing, sort of. I was doing a full bottle and just pouring it in. Uh, but, and I was trying to finish the, uh, the bottle I have has a lid that pops off the middle of it and, and then a straw. So I was, uh, I'd finish an hour's worth on the hour. I try to time it so I'd finish on the hour. I was nailing it. And then I'd pour a um, new bottle in. And then for uh, fresh water, I was drinking from the Camelback. And, I, man, I was having to stop like every 45 minutes, every hour to pee again. Uh, it was really, really annoying. And then on the way back, I got a tailwind so I can actually sit up a little bit on occasion. And also, I started getting leg cramps. I, was, I had been trying too hard. And my longest ride had been about three hours, all indoors, you know. So now we're into the three and a half, four hour mark, and I started getting leg cramps. And uh, I'm a salt stick user, which we'll get to discount code in a minute. But the, um, and I'd added extra salt stick to my fuel. So my electrolytes were good. Um, there is a very strong and real um, belief that a lot of, t- most of the time, it's not from electrolytes getting cramps and stuff it's not from electrolytes it's just simply from trying too hard you're that's why you get them in races and not in training you know you're just trying too hard and you need to uh, back off a little bit especially if your electrolytes are good which they were and uh, so i just backed off a little bit and guess what they went away (laughs) i was actually that might be the first time that's ever happened because i was pushing it uh later on in the race because it gets hilly again it goes from flat to like really hilly again and into a headwind again at the end and uh there i was uh pushing the pace and um at the end you know having to and no more no more cramps just by um backing off a little bit and going a little bit easier um when i was having the cramps and then um making sure i was eating and drinking enough so there was that. And then I um, crossed the finish line. And it was the least fanfare that I'd ever seen. One, I was earlier than a lot of people expected. And two, I had no family or friends there at the moment. Uh, Kai and Emily decided not to go because they... Um, Kai had a soccer game and his hamstring was hurt from track. And hold on, I'm gonna move. His hamstring was hurt from track, so he decided just we decided to err on the side of caution 
and not actually, uh, um, you know, have them race. So that worked out all right. Um, but I crossed the finish line and literally nothing. <laughs> There's people and everything, but I had, I had my beer and, uh, and then went back and looked at my bike. And like I said, I had a flat tire and I was at the bike shop a few days later, which I'll, I'll, uh, detail in a minute. And the, um, the guys at the bike shop said that there was a lot of people with flat tires towards the end. Um, and I heard this from one of Emily's coworkers. She said that, uh, somebody called their husband. It was a woman. She called her husband and begged for her, begged for him to come pick her up because she was so tired from the, um, from the race and going at headwind on that really, really rough pavement. That's how bad it was. And he said, no, he said, uh, you've only got 10 miles left to go. So keep pedaling. I'll, I'll start heading your way maybe, but you need to, you need to finish. You're almost done. And then, uh, she ended up finishing on her own. All right. I'm at Freebirds. I'm going to eat and go over my notes and make sure I've got everything, uh, to finish up this segment of the show. I'll be right back. I'll be. All right, that is it. I hope everybody enjoyed the show. We're back on the beach again with the squirrels and the iguanas in Costa Rica. And I'm going to try to get this show wrapped up and posted. Uh, The internet is, uh, it's all right. We'll see. And um, it kind of comes and goes. (laughs) And that's quite all right. It's very, very cool. So uh, hopefully next episode, I'll talk about the... uh, adventures that we've had here in Costa Rica and some of the some of the things we did and saw we did a little bit of swimming yesterday evening and walking through town but there's so much to do here Costa Rica is one of these um countries that uh they decided to base their economy more on tourism and I think they have almost no military uh there's like no guns so we're really excited to get out and about and do a bunch of stuff all right that's it everybody stay safe out there work the uphills cruise the downhills and keep the rubber side down out <laughs>